The Bob Murphy Show, episode 189. you gonna do get ready for another episode of the bob murphy show the podcast promoting free markets free minds and grateful souls it's your source for commentary and interviews conducted by a christian and economist now here's your host bob murphy hey everyone welcome to another episode of the bob murphy show where apparently it's all texas energy all the time We've got back-to-back episodes here. Previous episode was my interview with Rob Bradley, talking about the history of electricity regulation in the United States. And then we focused on the issue of Texas. And today I am talking with Josiah Neely, who is the Texas director and a senior fellow in energy with the R Street Institute. And Josiah and I are also going to be really getting into the nitty-gritty number crunching regarding the uh, February 2021 Texas freeze and then consequent blackouts. So there's actually not overlap, though, between the two, that the stuff I talked about with Rob is largely independent from the stuff I talk about with Josiah, even though there's a lot of uh, compatibility there. But again, so this is, it's not that I'm just talking about the same stuff with a different guest. We really get into much different issues than the things Rob and I talked about. Also, just a little bit of background and I will link to this stuff in the show notes page. So this is, again, bobmurphyshow.com slash 189. Josiah was the person that I was behind the scenes when I was first learning about, hey, wait a minute, maybe natural gas was the MVP of electricity production in Texas during this recent freeze. And so why are people like Paul Krugman running around saying natural gas was the, the main culprit here, the villain of the story, and wind had nothing to do with it? So Josiah was my go-to person behind the scenes to uh, try to understand, you know, where are these people coming from because he's uh, he's a pretty fair guy, and so I like to bounce ideas off him just to see if if I'm uh, being misled by my own prejudices. So Josiah was coming from the perspective that yeah, this really was an issue of natural gas did not meet expectations, and that's really the the thing to blame if you're going to pick an energy source. But as, as you'll see in the discussion, it's it's nuanced. And I say this without joking that I think the stuff that I wrote and that Josiah wrote on, on this event would really give you a well-rounded view of both sides. So without further ado, here is my discussion with Josiah Neely. Well, Josiah, welcome to the Bob Murphy Show. Thank you, Bob, and and welcome to Irving Cowboys. Well, thank you. It's sort of neat, sort of like with Air Force One that apparently any plane the president gets on turns into Air Force One. So wherever you are, you can just declare this is an episode of Urban Cowboys. That's right. I, I do wonder sometimes, like, if, if the president, for whatever reason, were to take, like, he would just get on Southwest or whatever, you know, with that, like, Southwest going to Miami, you know, would that just be, that would be Air Force One then? That's my understanding. I, I have not, you know, read deeply on the subject, but... That is my understanding that they automatically, yeah, wherever he gets on, turns into Air Force One. All right. There you go. So we're talking about what? Texas? Texas. That's right. Yeah. Texas. uh, We had a little little incident last month. I was one of the lucky ones. My power never went out, but 
lots of millions of people around the state. Did your water go out though? Because weren't you like putting ice in your bathtub? I thought I saw. Yes. Yeah. So by uh, the way, folks, I wasn't like in his house looking in his bathroom. It was he put he put it on Twitter. He's kind of a weird right oversharing, we might say. Yeah. So uh, yeah. Even though I did not lose power, we did end up lose losing water for a couple of days uh, because I guess it was the pumping stations lost power, and so they couldn't like maintain water pressure. Luckily, which uh, is kind of rare in Texas, there was a bunch of snow outside on the ground. So uh, my son and I just scooped that up and put it in a bathtub. Uh, we didn't drink it, but mm-hmm. you could use it for the for the to run the toilets. Are you familiar um, with the Frank Zappa song on that issue? Is it uh, <laughs> Yellow Snow? Is that right? What it, yeah, yeah. You're yeah. supposed to be be wary of it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Even even the white snow. You know when it. When it finally melted, you know, there's a lot of dirt in even white. Mm. So I wouldn't necessarily recommend uh, eating that. But um, yeah, so. I, can, I, can I, before you jump into the wonky stuff, can I just ask you, did you guys have a sense, like did the forecasters say, you know, two days out, like, hey, everybody, this could be a really big thing and, you know, make sure you stock up. And like, were you aware that this could be serious? Uh, so definitely the information was out there. I didn't necessarily probably take it as seriously as I should because when it, whenever it gets cold, my mom always calls and tells me, "Oh, you need to drip your faucets and you know put the, these like little little styrofoam thing that you put on your pipes so that they don't." Oh, right. Mm-hmm. And so you know that happens a couple times, a couple times a year. I get a call from my mom about that, and so I just registered. It's like, oh yeah, it's, it's probably going to be about that. And then it, so it was, it was probably not until, uh, pretty close to the event that I kind of tuned in that this was going to be something bad. But if I had been, I'm sure if I had been like watching the weather forecast closer, there was, there was a little bit more advanced warning, but I'm, you know, I I don't do that (laughs) normally. And also I'm guessing no, like at best they would have said, you know, go to the grocery store because you might be stuck at home. They wouldn't have said, get ready that your power might be out for two or three days. Right, right. And I, I, I am, uh, so I am generally a bit of a prepper. So we do keep a supply of food and bottled water here that doesn't have to be, you know, the food doesn't have to be refrigerated or whatever, a lot of peanut butter, canned goods, stuff like that. So that was not an issue. I, I did have one friend who I guess went, you know, saw the like, oh, there's a storm coming in 24 hours and they went out and bought a generator. Uh, so they, they at least, you know, were, were a little bit on the ball, but as it turned out in our case, since we didn't lose power, you know, Mm -hmm. it didn't matter that I, I was, uh, that I didn't foresee that, I guess. But anyway, I know, I know that you, you know, we, uh, both of us have talked in like prior podcast episodes about the event and what are some of the causes and who's to blame and so on and so forth. And I thought it would just like, just for, for, some of your listeners to kind of like review what I think, what I think the big kind of story is. And that is, you know, when you have like, so as you're, as you're, uh, most of your listeners are probably aware, we don't store electricity. You can't like, there's a couple ways you can store a little bit of it. But for the most part, when you're using electricity, it's being generated at the same time somewhere else and they have to match. And it's not just that if there is not enough electric supply to meet the demand that someone's, you know, an individual person's light won't come on. It's not like if you go to the store and they're out of bread, like the entire system can go down if there is an imbalance between supply and demand. Right. 
So because of that- I don't mean to put you on this. Do you understand the, the physics of that? Because I, I, I mean, yeah. I know that's a fact, but I don't actually get what actually happens. Why does that crash the whole grid if- Sure, yeah, yeah. So it has to do with the way that the equipment is set up. So in the United States, you know, all the transmission lines and plants or whatever, they're designed for a frequency of 60 hertz. And there's also like voltage they have to have to be in. It doesn't have to be uh, 60 hertz. Apparently in Japan, they do 50 hertz, right, is the frequency. But that's just what the equipment is set for. Mm -hmm. And when you have an imbalance of like, you know, let's say that there is uh, 70 gigawatts of electric demand and there's only 68 of supply, right? That's going to cause the frequency to fall, right? And as the frequency falls, the equipment will either get overloaded and damaged or a lot of it have, they have safety features that like take it off. And that's, this is why it, uh, you may remember back in 2003, there was a big blackout in the northeast of the United States, like through New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, that ended up happening because there was a, a sensor that was down that wasn't reading that there was an imbalance. And so a tree branch fell on like a power line that caused an imbalance and just like you had a cascade of more and more stuff shutting off to protect itself from being like overheated and fried. Um, and so that's kind of, uh, you know, this is kind of like the nightmare that you, as an electric system, you're trying to avoid is that like, you know, it would be as if, uh, if a store runs out of bread, all of a sudden everywhere in you know, half the country, all the bread just disappears, right? You can't get it anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's obviously, that's a, that's a, uh, that's a, uh, there's a lot of focus that goes into avoiding that situation. So because of that, uh, your system, your electric systems tend to be optimized around when you expect the peak electric demand to be, right? Because that's, that's the variable, you know, different times a day and times a year, people want to use different amounts of electricity. And since you can't store it, you have to have it ready to go at all times. In Texas, that's the summer. And so our system is uh, geared around the summer. In the winter, we're usually pretty fine. Uh, you know, we usually are okay. And uh, ERCOT, which is the, the grid operator, they do these seasonal forecasts. And if you look at the seasonal forecast that they did for winter 2021, they expected that they were going to have about 40% excess electric capacity, right? So they predicted, we'll have about 57 gigawatts of electric demand, we'll have 83 gigawatts of electric uh, supply capacity that we can call on if we need to. That's a huge margin. Most most systems plan for something in the range of 10 to 20%, right? So 40%, you know, this should not be a problem. And uh, I, would, I would mention that like of that 83 gigawatts to, that they're counting on, only about one gigawatt of that is wind, right? So they're not, they, they were not uh, counting on a, a lot of wind there, right? So, uh, so just to yeah, paraphrase or whatever, to make sure, so, so that, again, the big picture is when you're right. running these things, you got to say the system has to be able to, normal customer usage, if it happens to be really high, Right. We want the, the capacity to be able to produce that much on the spot right. to satisfy them. And then, of course, you know, in practice, we think we won't need that much, but let's plan and make sure if, right. if they do demand. And then, especially in the winter time when, you know, there, it, it could happen to be that people want to use a bunch on a day that's not very windy. So we can't assume that 
wind's going to have a big role to play. And then therefore, and so they're just building in and saying non-wind and non-solar, you know, the so-called thermal plants, we think they can do this much. Yeah, that is a, yeah, that's correct. And, you know, they, they do know, particularly as you get closer, like uh, 24 hours ahead, uh, they, you tend to get better at estimating how much wind there's going to be. Mm-hmm. But they want, you know, they, they have a high standard for what they can count on. And so they, they basically assume uh, we're just not going to count on there being a lot of wind. Um, the, 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 I don't mean to quit. The only reason I'm saying that is because actually, uh, I know you saw my article. I Off the top of my head, yes. I think like the previous year, you know, I just I just went literally twelve months earlier. Right. I think wind was like forty percent or something of the right. yeah. power. That, so it's not that wind never works. They're just saying we can't assume because we could just get unlucky, right. and maybe people want to use a bunch of power on a day that there doesn't happen to be much wind, and therefore, that that yeah, that's correct. Yeah, so there there is a lot of wind capacity in the Texas system, and you know, if you get a good day where there's a lot of wind and the conditions are right. Uh, a, a large proportion of the electricity can be coming from wind, but uh, you know because they're the you know the they're trying to think about you know what's the worst case scenario, right? right. Mm-hmm. And then the numbers that I gave you were not the worst case scenario. That was just like their base scenario, I guess. Mm-hmm. But even so, you know, they just as a general as a general uh, purpose, they they view the wind as like if it if it's there, that's good. It's an extra. But, you know, if it's not there, we still think we have this this real big right. Mm-hmm. And so uh, what happened is, you know, we had this really bad winter storm. It was uh, probably the coldest temperatures, I think, since like the 1890s or something. And it was all across the state. There was a lot of there was a lot of ice. So that that did uh, which is not typical for Texas. Right. 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 Uh, you know, Minnesota or whatever, maybe. But so that did two things. One is the electricity demand went up, right? Because, you know, a lot of people were trying to keep their homes, they're using other things. So we ended up having an all-time winter peak for electric use. And we would have, we almost certainly would have had an all-year peak, all-time peak for electric use if there had been enough supply to meet it, right? You know, so when they were looking, they're like, okay, yeah, our all-time is like 74, 75. And they were looking, it's like, we're going to go to 79. So that, that that's, Part of it. If that had been the only issue, I think uh, that could have been managed. Uh, you know, would have been inconvenient for some people, but it, you know, th- there are ways that you can deal with that. The bigger part of the problem is because of uh, weather and related issues, you had a lot of power supply that just failed. Right, mm-hmm. plants were not able to operate, or were not able to get the fuel that they needed to be able to operate. And uh, I think there, at the lowest. Point, something like 48% of the total capacity was offline, right? So that's a huge, mm-hmm. huge amount. It's like half your half your generation system is gone. So that that's the basics. And so when I look at that, what I see is for one thing, like these failure, you know, you had supply plant failures pretty much across every generation type. So there was a lot of wind that was out, there's a lot of gas that was out, but there was also coal out, even a nuclear unit had to go offline because of like a sensor froze. And so they had to shut it down. Yeah, I was going to ask that one. My understanding is the plant actually was fine, but right. because the sensor yeah. froze, a safety thing, they just shut it down. And right. so, yeah. Right. Yeah. And they, yeah, they have to do that. You know, sometimes if they, if they can't tell that something could go wrong, particularly with a nuclear plant, you know, they're very, right. they're very uh, right. particular about that. So you did have, uh, so you had failures of all types of, of plants and there's, 
there's nothing inherent, I would say, in any of the sorts of energy that made them fail because you have like wind turbines that operate fine in Minnesota. You have natural gas plants that operate fine in North Dakota when it's a lot colder. Uh, it's just that things were cold for Texas. And in the same way that when the storm hit, you know, there was ice on the road here and that ice, you know, there's ice and snow on the road and that didn't get cleaned up for like four or five days, right? You know, basically we had to wait until it melted. A lot of the roads were impassable. And, you know, when I lived up north, you would have, you know, there were snow plows that would come out, people put like ice, you know, uh, uh, salt and other things on the road to break up the ice. Because that doesn't happen here that often, we're just not used to that. We're not ready for it. Mm -hmm. I think that's the same thing that happened with regard to our electricity system. And Can I tell a, a real quick thing on that? Oh, yeah. When I so yeah, I'm originally from upstate New York, and yeah, they're they're used to getting we're you know we're right by the lake and get dumped on, and so yeah, we're used to. That. But I, when I moved to Nashville, where it does snow but not that much, there we, one year we got crushed, and in my neighborhood, like the little cul-de-sac, they actually ended up sending like a like a regular backhoe. <laughs> it just came to, to shovel, you know what I mean? Like it was, it was yeah. so it was like as an economist talking about capital heterogeneity, like that was right. kind of a neat little thing that yeah, they so just to show, you know, yeah. it's not just there's a capital K, yeah, yeah. My my wife is from Minnesota, so she has a lot of comments about you know like uh, our our Texas capacity when it comes to clearing up uh, ice off the streets or whatever. But anyway, so I, I just say all that because so uh, from my perspective, when I look at a the like amount of the whole, which is really, you know, is, you went from like thinking you had 40% more than you needed to having 40% less than you needed. It's huge, huge hole. And then it doesn't like, th there are some, uh, I think there are, there are some, perhaps some specific issues like with related to natural gas supply that we could talk about. But for the most part, you know, it's, it's not something that I would view as inherent in any fuel type, right? So I, I think a lot of the discussion around the event has been about like different fuel types trying to blame each other and, you know, like gas people say it was the wind and the wind people say it was the gas and everybody. And I don't think that's the right way to look at it. I think there are other issues that were involved, but the big issue is just that the Texas system was not set up and prepared for this sort of cold and it was, it's kind of like a, a Nassim Taleb thing, right? Where, mm -hmm. you know, when, if you look at the forecast, they basically just said, however it was coldest the last time, you know, 10 years ago, that's what we're going to plan for as our worst case scenario. And it was a lot worse than that. Okay. So just, I think, let me just amplify some of the points you made that you, yeah. you're right. The, the way, you know, because Governor Abbott and the Wall Street Journal and stuff right. come out swinging saying this is basically AOC's fault right. with her Green New Deal that from the future retroactively screwed us. <laughs> and then, of course, the people on the left, Paul Krugman and whatnot, like, oh, you idiots, you bunch of liars. No, it was the natural gas right. problem. And and so, and, and then by the way, I would have been happy. Like, I, I actually, you know, people were asking me originally when this thing first broke, you know, Bob, what do you think? You've worked in energy. And I just said, I really don't know enough about the specifics of the Texas grid. You know, I shouldn't. But then it wasn't until I read some some articles on it and and I saw like the, you know the stats that you're for, with, with how natural gas like the week before the storm to the week like natural gas shot way up in terms of its its absolute output let alone percentage of the total and thing so that's what why I thought okay I should weigh in on this because I think 
the public, you know, sort of had this idea that, oh yeah, it was just chugging along, the storm hits, and then all the different power sources got knocked way down right. from the, you know, the day before the storm. And that's what the problem was when, as you're pointing out, no, the issue was they would have had literally the all-time record demand in Texas, even including summers, had they had the capacity to satisfy it. Did I catch you? Uh, yeah, right. Yeah. So yeah, okay. they, they think that they would have, they would have had uh, you know, like an all-time high demand. Yeah. Yeah. And so that that's why I wait just to say, well, no, I, there's a sense in which natural gas really was like the MVP, but it's sort of like if Michael Jordan has an off game, right? you can say we lost because Jordan had an off game, even though, well, technically though, he still was the MVP. It's just, he didn't do as good as we were hoping, you know, that kind of thing. And if you're, right. if you're, if the coach designs the strategy, get the ball to Michael and then it doesn't work. You know, you could say we were planning on him scoring 40 and he only scored 28. So that's why we lost, even though right. there's a sense in which, well, gee, if, if Pippen had been better, maybe we would have won. Right. Um, and then you're, and you're saying too, like with pointing fingers about, well, look at all these frozen wind turbines and did it, that it's not that wind per se doesn't work in the cold. And I, some of my Canadian colleagues up at Fraser were, you know, warning me that if you're trying to, you know, extrapolate from this to Canada, you gotta be careful because our wind turbines don't freeze up the way the ones in Texas did. And, and yeah. so they're... Yeah, so in, in my understanding from talking to like wind people in particular, but I think this is true for other things too, is that there's two weatherizing packages that you can have for your wind turbine, like mm -hmm. summer package and a winter package. And if you, you have to like choose one kind of, like the things that you do to protect your turbines against cold weather, make it not work as well in the heat and vice versa, right? I think that's I think that's kind of true. Okay, and maybe mm. other like natural gas or other things too. So that that's part of you know the part of well, why didn't they just winterize? There's actually some trade offs there. It's not just costly, but your plants become less uh, efficient and less able to produce if you're optimized for one temperature range and you find yourself in, in another one. Okay, so I didn't realize that. Yeah, I was going to ask you if you know about the cost because I've seen some people kind of say look, this was a, you know, not, not it's not impossible. It, it did happen, right. but this was a very rare event and maybe it would not have made sense for them to spend a bunch of money being ready for this. Maybe, clearly, if they had known this was coming, they would have done something differently because right. right. there were huge costs, however you want to measure them, from what ended up happening. And so surely it would have been cheaper to prepare a little bit more, but not knowing ahead of time this was going to happen, maybe they'd say, yep, this was, in retrospect, we should have spent more on the front end, but you know, it, it was a rational decision a year ago when we decided not to, quote, winterize because it really was unlikely for, for, with, the, with the information we had to think it was going to be this cold. Right. Yeah. And and I'm sure, you know, the information is still uh, coming out. You know, undoubtedly, different plants chose to winterize to different levels. And so it's quite possible because, as you say, there were still a lot of, you know, half if half the capacity is out because of the cold. You still have the other half that's that's operating, right? And there, mm -hmm. as you noted in your article, there was a lot of natural gas that was still there. Probably some of those plants that were still there maybe were winterized to a higher standard, and that like benefited them. Uh, it's hard to say because there was also there apparently were issues of like plants that said, "Well, look, uh, we're operating fine, but we just can't get any gas, right?" Mm -hmm. because uh, the wellheads had frozen. I, I think I think I was looking at something just before we talked on the EIA that uh, natural gas production was down by like 45% during that week because of either frozen wellheads or pipelines that freeze or other things. So there, you could have a lot of issues, but I'm sure that there are some people that 
did do that winterizing and they ended up coming out of it a lot better because of that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, across- even there, do you do you know off the, again? It's I'm I'm more I'm an economist. I draw lines on a chalkboard. Uh, do you, like in ter- yeah, you, you obviously you'd like to build a bunch of batteries to charge up the batteries, right? You know, when the wind's blowing, so that's we know that's cost prohibitive. But like with the natural gas, if the issue, if part of it was the wellheads were frozen, and this like would it have made sense to store actual natural gas like on site from some of these plants, or did the, you know what I mean? Yeah, so that's so that's a good question. I think it certainly. So I'm not an economist, but just looking at how high natural gas prices went, if you had known, like if like the time traveler had gone back like two months and said, "Hey, right. this, is, this is what." Prices are going to be. I'm sure the the like stockpiles would have, you know, they, they would have stored a lot more a lot mm-hmm. more gas. Uh, by the way, just to be clear, I, I was mocking myself saying I'm talking about energy economics, but I don't know enough about the actual mechanics of how a natural gas fired plant works to know. Well, yeah, and I I yeah. I, I, I uh, I'm a lawyer, you know, by training, okay. so I <laughs> any subject I will talk as if I, you know. Maybe nope. for the next episode, we should bring somebody on who like knows this stuff. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe we could find somebody. This is one thing is like, even though it's a month out, there obviously were a variety of sources of the failure. There were some things where it was like sensors that didn't work or turbines that froze. There are some places where they say, hey, we don't know what, we couldn't get gas. We wouldn't have been able to operate. Uh, you have a, you know, there's, there's more technical reasons too. We don't yet have like a breakdown of, how much of it was due to any one cause, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, very oftentimes when you have a system that's put under stress, like uh, you know, you don't quite know where your like weak points are, and then like a bunch of stuff like just kind of pops at once. So I, I think that's kind of what happened. Um, it probably was systemic racism. <laughs> well, you know, that hasn't been looked into, but uh, you know, uh, I'm sure, I'm sure someone. Someone will look into that, you know, mm-hmm. perhaps Professor Kendi can look into that. <laughs> so, so now this actually is a good transition, maybe perhaps into, you see, we're talking about like if they know how high the prices were and whatever. So the, do you want to talk now about, you know, one of the scandals was the whole, the wholesale price what was it, like $9,000. Yeah, so there was one other, there was oh, okay, sorry. One other thing that I want to talk about. And that is, so it clearly, the problems was clearly really not, I would say, particularly the wind because of the, you know, because of the forecast and what was expected. But there is, so there is a more sophisticated argument about the effect of wind on the electricity system, which, as you know, uh, wind power receives the production tax credit, a federal subsidy, it's about two cents a kilowatt hour. And so there's some people that argue that, okay, because of that, that means that you're going to have more wind on the system and you're going to drive out uh, other thermal plants, right? Because they're not going to be able to compete. They're not going to be able to earn enough money on mm. price or new generators are going to invest in wind as opposed to invest in natural gas or whatever. And it, so uh, because of that, you're going to have less reserves that you can call on in in, a, in an event, right? Um, and, and that's actually, that, that was the argument I was making. Yes, right. So yeah. I'm glad I'm one of the more sophisticated ones. That's Let me just, just if I plug in a number, oh, shoot, where is it? That, yeah, it's, so what I did just to give Zignar is saying, I looked at what EIA said was the maximum theoretical installed capacity as of summer 2020 right. for natural gas and for wind. 
And then I, you know, multiplied that by 24 because, you know, that was an hourly thing to say, okay, if, it, if these things ran at a day at their theoretical maximum capacity, how many kilowatt hour or megawatt hours, whatever, could they generate? And then I looked at, in fact, on February 15th, 2021, the first day of the blackouts, how much did those sources in fact deliver? Right. And so natural gas was like 46% and wind was only about 10%. Yeah. And, and so and I was so in like from an economic perspective, it gets a little tricky because, you know, wind is so all different energy sources have what's called a, a capacity factor, which is mm -hmm. if you build a megawatt of this energy source. How much can you reasonably expect to get out of it over the course of a year, say? Right. Right. So if you if you if you're a nuclear plant you're going to be above 90% because they basically always run unless there's some emergency. If you're a natural gas, it's probably going to be a little bit lower, you know, but you're still talking about you're going to be able to get 70% out of it. And uh, for wind, their capacity factor is probably closer to 30%, 30% depending on conditions, right? So that, that that's like, that's not a secret. So if a generator is trying to decide what I want to build, do I want to build a megawatt of natural gas, or do I want to build a megawatt of wind? I mean, if if I do, I want to build natural gas. Or do I want to build wind? They're not gonna. They're not gonna be like, well, should I build a megawatt of one or megawatt of the other? Because if they, right. if someone, if you know, if someone comes in and says, hey, we ran the numbers, and it's thirty percent cheaper to build a megawatt of wind than it is to build a megawatt of natural gas, so we should build the wind. Like they're gonna kick them out of the office because they're like, you can't get as much out of a megawatt, right? So it would be like, should we build a megawatt of natural gas or two megawatts of wind mm -hmm. or, you know, two and a half or whatever. Um, so that, I, it's, uh, I do think that is important that it's like, if you're trying to think of what would the system look like absent the subsidies, right? There clearly would be less wind on the system. There would be more of something else, but it wouldn't be a one-to-one -one probably because mm -hmm. you build out a great, you know, if you're, if you're a, uh, a generator, you know, you get paid based off what you generate, right? So if you have a source that's only going to be generating, uh, you know, a third of the time, uh, you know, like Chick-fil-A, say, right? When they're trying to do their calculations of like, you know, would it make sense to put a store here? They obviously are not open on Sunday. And so they have to figure out, are we going to be, be able to make enough money uh, from six days a week, right? And of course, mm -hmm. their chicken is so tasty that, you know, right. probably can't. Um, but yeah, so that, like, I think that in this case, because the whole, the whole was so big, uh, and to the extent that you have natural gas supply issues, I don't think that simply having some more natural gas plants instead of some wind turbines would have really affected the situation that much. So I definitely am not a fan of the production tax credit. I've written against it. Um, our mutual friend Rob Bradley likes to send me some of the old things that I've written about the you know negative about the uh, wind subsidies, right? Which I, I'm still against. Uh, but I don't. I in this case, it just doesn't like compute that it really has much to do with the uh, with the event. Okay, let me just distill that down and make sure that yes. we were we were bringing up a lot of stuff rapid fire so somebody like Abbott goes on Fox or wherever he was and say oh this is the fault of wind look at look at the news showing these frozen turbines and the helicopters trying to de-ice them right. clearly you know it's a stupid green new deal and then somebody like you comes along or, or Ron ba Bailey at reason.com saying well no ERCOT's own planning memos show they weren't counting on wind to be a big deal and 
And then I come along and say, okay, that is true. But if you look at the actual, you know, on that day in question, you know, natural gas supplied 46% of its theoretical capacity, wind only at 10. And so to the extent that the expansion of wind, which was partly driven by federal subsidies, displaced how much natural gas capacity there otherwise would have been in a different universe when he didn't have the federal production tax credit. Right. Then even though natural gas only had 46%, you know, delivering of its potential capacity, 46% is bigger than 10%. Right. And so therefore, and then now you're saying, okay, but had there not been, you know, when wind expanded partly because of subsidies and displaced, you know, other city, whether coal or natural gas, it wouldn't have been megawatt megawatt for megawatt. Right. That That's right. Installing new capacity for wind, yes, means there's less natural gas than there otherwise would have been, but it would not have been a one-to-one thing because everybody knows you can't just trust wind being on most of the time. Right. And so, therefore, so your point is just the numbers, when you adjust for that, it, it's not like everything would have been fine had it not been for the production tax credit. There still would have been a huge hole. Right. Had nothing else changed except for some more natural gas capacity and less wind capacity. That's right. Yeah. And to the and to the extent the issue was like fuel supply, like having more plants, you know, wouldn't necessarily have done uh, m- much at all, right? And I don't know, I don't know about that, but you know, so the the way I see it is like there's a lot of other problems in the system. Those seem like the things you should uh, address. Mm-hmm. Definitely, uh, I'm against the production tax credit for all, all sorts of other reasons, but I don't I don't think it played a big role in in this event. Yeah. Okay. So now is it okay to go to the yeah, pricing yeah, yeah, thing? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So to, to motivate, so I saw a, like a thing. Krug, I don't know that Krugman wrote it up for like his column, but I saw on Twitter he did a tweet. Was it called Storm? Did you call him? <laughs> and um, he and he was saying like, "Hey, Texas was supposed to be the land of free market energy, and in fact, I re, I distinctly remember that there were you know big boosters of this who said, oh, we're allowing for more flexible.'" contracts that have, you know, that don't strictly regulate the price, even at the retail level. And the theory was by giving more freedom to the independent power producers and allowing for flexible, you know, real-time market pricing, if there ever were, you know, a shortage or or extra scarcity, let's say, the price would shoot way up, which wouldn't be allowed in other states, perhaps, but Texas, the land of, you know, laissez-faire, rah-rah. And then that, knowing that incentive was built in there, that would mean the producer's would be rational. They would look ahead and say, oh, let's be ready for a bad storm or something because then the price is going to go through the roof and we're going to make boatloads of money. So of course we're going to spend money winterizing on the front end because we're going to be able to sell it for $9,000. Uh, what, what is it? Is that megawatt hour? Is that what that price is for? Yeah, yeah, $9,000 a megawatt hour. Um, and so of course we'll go ahead and you know make sure our natural gas lines are protected from the cold because otherwise we'd miss out on all this big money. We're not in those socialistic states with price controls. Here we are in the land of laissez-faire capitalism. And then Krugman, of course, says, well, look how that theory worked out, morons. So <laughs> so now, discuss. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, so I, it is true. Well, the, the first thing I would say is uh, you, you kind of have to distinguish between uh, wholesale and retail electric prices, right? Mm-hmm. And let's leave the retail to the side for now. For the wholesale, that's right, the, the way... The way we try to ensure adequate supply is we just there's no price controls other than this nine thousand dollar an hour uh, megawatt cap, and so basically uh, when there is scarcity, the price goes up, and you have a lot of plants that are designed. They're so-called peaker plants. They only operate 
when the price goes up because uh, they're they're expensive to operate and uh, they're not very they're not very efficient. They're basically just like a, a series of jet engines that you can that you can run. So that overall, I would say, has worked pretty well. If you do not use that system, then you have to think of like, okay, well, what what other system are you going to use instead to try and ensure resource adequacy? And those other systems, uh, A, they're pretty costly. But the most important thing is those other systems are all built around the same for- same types of forecasts that ERCOT was using and said we had 40% reserves, right? Mm-hmm. So whatever your other system is going to be, you're not going to have, you're not going to say, well, we need 40% reserves, you know? You, you would, if we had had a different system, we didn't have like scarcity pricing, we would have ended up in the same place, I'm almost certain. And in fact, the surrounding, you know, the surrounding, uh, our, our neighboring markets that are vertically integrated, uh, SPP and MISO, they also had uh, some rolling blackouts. So I, yeah, I, I don't, I don't see that as a, as a big issue. I, I think that a good, so here's a good illustration of that is the closest thing that we have to what Krugman is talking about is we have a, a, like there's about a dozen power plants that the state pays to be ready in case of what they call a black start event, right? So if you had a situation like in 2003 in the Northeast where there was this, you know, the entire system went down, Mm -hmm. you need to be able to start it back up. And so we have some plants that that say, it's like, okay, you know, like not only can you count on us, you can really count on us because we've got fuel on site, we've got everything set, we could start up and run power just by ourselves if necessary, right? We don't need the grid and we could like feed power back into the grid to get everything else started, right? So of those, of those, so we have 13 of them and six of those 13 were out because of the weather, right? They had weather-related outages. So what that tells me is, you know, uh, as long as you're like, it doesn't really matter what your system is if you're using the same forecasts, right? If your forecasts are, we need to, we need to protect to, you know, three three feet of flood tide because that's the hundred year level or whatever, and then you get mm. five feet of flood, you're going to have a problem regardless of whether you know the your dams were built, you know, by the free market or by like the state or whoever, you know, however you mm. make the system. So that, that that's kind of my any opinion. dam the state builds, it first took from the private sector. Just <laughs> to be clear, well, yeah, okay, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, but but the, you know you I, you it, despite taking it from the private sector, it, it's still the worst job. It right? was overseeing it. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, so let me. I, I, I get what you let me just push back again, and, and it's yeah. it's possible you did answer this and I missed it. Yeah. So I think what Krugman is saying. So it sounds like what you're saying is, look, the market's not infallible, and you know the the intellectual error here was the proper you know what they thought of as a pretty much worst case scenario in terms of the cold and the electric demand. Right. They were just off. And then so that kind of drove everything and, it, you know, quote, deregulated or less regulated power producers even licking their chops knowing, hey, in case this is wrong, there's going to be huge price spikes. And so don't you want to be ready to seize all these, you know, huge profit opportunities? If they think that's not going to happen, they're not going to go ahead and prepare for that. Right. And so so that it's this isn't like a failure of capital. But I think what Krugman might say is, sure, okay. But our point, though, was, that's why we should go ahead and have like a normal jurisdiction where you have pretty close regulation of the producers and the prices are capped 
And so there, yeah, if the if the authorities screw up and they totally miss the boat on the forecast, fine, you have blackouts somewhere, but at least consumers aren't getting hit with huge bills. And in fact, you can be more paternalistic and regulate them. Whereas in Texas, the reason they weren't weather winterized was because the state didn't have the authority to order it. They just trusted them. They let the magic of the market work. And so now you had the worst of both worlds where you had outages and people are getting hit with $17,000 monthly electric bills. Yeah. So uh, let me let me answer that in two parts. So the, okay. the first, on the on the regulation part, uh, we mentioned earlier that we we had a nuclear unit that went down, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, nuclear units are federally regulated. I, I don't think anyone, even Krugman, would say that they are lightly regulated, right? Mm-hmm. Nuclear nuclear power plants are very heavily regulated. That obviously it didn't matter in this case, right? Right. S- similarly, to the extent that. You know, it looks like a big part of the problem had to do with natural gas supply. And, you know, like the natural gas system, like Texas did not deregulate that. You know, George Bush, you know, that's a that's a whole separate deal. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, uh, and we have like a unified throughout the United States, you know, like pipelines go all over the place and so on and so forth. So uh, I don't. So on the regulation side, I don't really see much of a case that like if if only you know someone someone wise like Paul Krugman had been in charge and like you know we had said okay you can do whatever regulations you want you know don't worry about that then. well can I what their specific allegation is is they'll say there was was it 2003 the, yep. the last time there was a bad cold 2011 yeah yeah okay Right, yeah. maybe. Right, and then yeah. and they were, and they're saying at the time, right. Some you know post game show auditors went around and said, "Wow, you guys should really winterize." And then, right, and then the claim is they just ignored that because no, that costs money, and we all know businesses yeah. so don't like I, to spend money. They all right, so they they definitely did not require uh, the state did not mandate any degree of winterization. Neither did the federal the federal government. Uh, you know, they they do like advisory or voluntary or mm. you know compliance type things. I would say that. The the forecasts that everybody was operating on, they used the 2011 event as their worst case scenario, right? Mm-hmm. So they it, it, it was not and you know winterization or weatherization, it's not an all or nothing thing, right? So you can winterize what you think is to a certain standard, and then it gets even colder, or there's more ice or something, and you know you find out that like oh you know we're not you know we're not ready for that, right? Okay, okay, so just to be, so you, what you would say on that narrow point to somebody like Krugman is it wasn't merely that, oh, crazy Texans with their Wild West mentality didn't impose it. The federal regulators also did not require. Correct. And in any event, the producers could have said, okay, we've, in light of the 2011 debacle, we've retooled or, you know, our capacity, blah, blah, blah. And we could totally withstand another 2011, right. which was the worst to that point. So we should be good now. Right. Yeah. And if they, and they if just they happen to be that, wrong, it's something them. even worse. Right. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's that's how. Then on the on the retail point, um, you know, because there have been some stories of people like who have a seventeen thousand dollar electric bill for a month or whatever. Um, and I so I think it's important to to note that almost everybody in Texas is on some sort of fixed rate electric plan, right? So when you when you move into a house or apartment. Uh, you know, you sign up for electric service, uh, you, depending on where you are, you get to choose like who you want your provider are and they all have like plans, like, you know, like the old phone plans or whatever. Mm. Right. 
where it's like, you know, we'll charge you eight cents a kilowatt hour or, you know, uh, sometimes, sometimes they'll have like, uh, tiered rates, you know, sort of like you use more than a, a thousand kilowatt hours in a month, then you, it goes up to a higher rate or whatever, but it, you're not paying wholesale market prices, right? You're not paying, you know, uh, like if, if the wholesale market price goes up to $9,000, your rate doesn't change. Right. Um, and you're the, saying for the vast majority of for the vast, Texas right. so there's about, there's about 7 million, uh, 7 million electric customers in Texas and all but about 42,000 are on some sort of fixed rate plan, right? Okay. There, there, wa- there were a couple companies, the primarily, primary one being uh, Gritty, that their deal was... <laughs> Which sounds like greedy. Yeah, it does, it does, yeah. <laughs> but, and Grid, yeah. Um, so their deal was, they said, look, we're just going to charge you whatever the wholesale market rate is in real time, uh, plus a $10 a month administrative fee. Right. Um, and uh, the idea behind this uh, was, it was that like the people who were going to sign up for this, they're probably going to be, you know, like more sophisticated people because most of the time the, the wholesale prices in Texas are pretty low. But it's known that a few times a year they're going to get really high. And so you would anticipate that. And when those times came, you would have like a generator that you would rely on you would be able to like radically reduce your electricity and you would make money you know you would save money overall right because uh, the just to stop you the yeah. clearly the 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 um, services or whatever companies offering the fixed rate plans they have to break even at least correct yeah so it's not like they're just consistently undercharging their customers the right. idea is during normal times when the wholesale price is low they're actually charging their customers more with that fixed rate than they need so that they can kind of get ahead. So then on the rare time when the wholesale price spikes and they're not allowed to pass it through. Right. They have. And so, okay. So, right. Yeah. So if you imagine that like most of the time, you know, the, the wholesale price is like three cents a kilowatt hour and occasionally it goes up to like $3 a kilowatt hour. And so the companies, the retail electric providers like, okay, well, we'll do some fancy math to average it out. And we figure we can offer you eight sense right and mm-hmm. you know most of the time we're making money and then sometimes like we're losing money but it'll all all even out right and so the the concept behind gritty was you can get the benefit of this most of the time that's cheap and if you're able to you know re- seriously reduce your usage during that other time you can get like all the you know all gain no pain right right so like joe rogan with his bitcoin mining enterprise would totally want the the gritty plan i'm yeah. making i don't know that he has a, a bitcoin mining right. thing but yeah. i'm just picturing yeah. something yeah. where that would make that, sense yeah, that, something where yeah and this is something that is more it's more common uh for commercial and industrial customers than for residential customers right. mm-hmm. because the commercials they they have like more ability to just be like okay we're gonna shut down you know right. uh, whereas a regular household it's like you could say oh don't run the dishwasher right now. Wait till 2 a.m. But right. in general, that seemed kind of crazy that you're going to monitor the wholesale price of electricity to adjust your usage. Right. If you're a house, whereas like you're saying, like a business or my joke, somebody yeah. who in his garage has a bunch of Bitcoin mining operations going on where, yeah, you could like just, whoa, it's too expensive. Turn that off and wait 24 hours kind of thing. Yeah. So, you know, obviously uh, it, it it is apparent that not everyone who was who had signed up for these services were in that situation, you know, and uh, 
one of the companies evolved, they basically said, okay, we're just going to eat the different, like they said just before the storm, we're going to cap your rates at 12 cents a kilowatt hour and we'll, we'll eat the difference. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, Gritty said, we'll pay you a hundred dollars to switch to somebody else. Uh, you know, so, and they're, I think they're, I think they're bankrupt now. I don't know. But um, so clearly you did have some people who either didn't fully understand like the risk Mm-hmm. downside risk or whatever it is, probably the state is going to end up, uh, you know, prohibiting that business model, uh, you know, cause it's, it's just hard. Like when you have a case, uh, of someone with that large of a, a, an electric bill, even if, even if they signed on the dotted line, right. 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 You know, for, for, it's just, it's just, you know, it's difficult to, to kind of justify that one what I do worry about with some of this is like uh, overreaction in the opposite direction because there is, I think, you know, when, when you have these scarcity events, and this is true not only in Texas but everywhere, when you have these scarcity events, you know, people will go on TV and they'll say, hey, everybody, you know, the, the supply is going to be tight. Please conserve electricity, turn right. off your thermostats, you know, don't run your dishwasher or whatever. Uh, and you know, that's fine. Like it's, it's fine to try and use moral suasion like that, but, uh, there's not a lot of, uh, financial incentives built in, in order to try and encourage people to do that. And as an economist, you know, that those price signals can be very powerful, right? So even if we don't want to fully expose people to like $9,000 an hour or whatever, I think that there are some things that we should be looking at for like, okay, how can we, how can we show people now is the time, you know, it's like maybe, you know, if, if you are in a situation where you're like, you know, my thermostat is six, set, set to 68, but you know, like I, I, uh, I am perfectly, you know, I've got, I've got some winter coats and I like mm-hmm. saving money, you know, I can take it down to 62, right? Whereas someone else, they might be like, no, I'll pay the extra, you know, that's fine. Right. Uh, Having more of that in the system, uh, I think, would be a big would be a big help going forward. So I, I'm worried that there might be an overreaction to that. Right, and that's because I mean I think we have mutual friends. I don't want to say her name, but like there are people with like young children and stuff in Texas that I saw, and they were like, "Hey, we've been without power for 18 right. hours at this point, and I have a six month old. Like this is right. not good, you know." And it's um, yeah, and so the, so right when when there's yeah. situations like that, yeah, it's. So yeah, we can talk about on the front end different things, but given that you're in the thick of it and there is not enough electricity to go around, how do you determine where it goes? And even though it sounds horrible, we're like, no prices that, you know, that that's partly how you do know that certain right. people, yeah, like just a bunch of frat guys hanging around, you know, they, they can more afford like, oh, just, just turn it off. You know, we'll put, well, like you say, we'll put on our, our winter suits or, or snow suits or whatever. And we'll just sit around and be kind of funny. We'll start a fire. Somebody else that's got, an elderly parent that they're caring for or, you know, they have like other kinds of medical equipment that needs electricity to run. It's like, no, that's life or death. I really need this, my power to be on. They might suck it up. Uh, Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, like the way that it works now is it's, it's kind of, I mean, it's not quite, it's not random, but the consumer can seem kind of random because as I mentioned, you know, we, in our house, we never lost power at all. There were other people who were without power for 50 hours, right? Mm-hmm. And I, my dad, uh, I don't know if I should mention this or not, but like my dad, 
their house never lost power and they weren't even there. Like they, he's, he was in Palm Springs for the week just cause like mm-hmm. he had a uh, vacation scheduled, you know? And so like, I'm sure there are a lot of people that are like, you know, f- freezing in the cold. Meanwhile, right. you know, my Did dad have a security porch lights on or something. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. And there were, you know, there, there were also, there, there were a lot of um, images of like uh, people, you know, in houses without power, like looking out, over the like nice skyline with all the buildings lit up, you know, or whatever mm-hmm. on the, eventually, you know, they were able to call the building manager and be like, Hey, you know, you should probably turn off, you know, your signs right now. Right, but, right. Exactly. Yeah. You know, that's just like, that's an extent to which that just is an example of, there's a lot of potential, what they call demand response that is, a, that you could get out of the grid that we're not getting out of it mm. because we don't have these financial, you know, mm. uh, feedback mechanisms in, in place. Right. Um, and there's a similar thing too, like when there's water shortages, you know, yeah. like in the summer yeah. typically, and then they say stuff like, Hey, and then they have to do like voluntary. And then eventually like no washing your car, no watering your lawn. And like they set up right. hotlines. If you see your neighbor watering his lawn, then call this number. And the, why does that happen? It's like, again, cause it's, you don't have pricing. You know, right. if, if you, if the price could adjust then everybody would decide, do, oh, is it worth it to wash my car right now? Or can I wait a week? Right. So um, That's right. do, do you have a sense, Josiah, about how much that was truly, um, like the fact that there were pockets of some people without power for whatever, three days in a row, other people were fine. Is that just because the authorities decided where to impose the rolling blackouts or part of it was just a technical issue of, yeah, the, the plants that would be supplying this neighborhood are just down. Uh, it's not a matter of if Josiah <laughs> would be selfless and cut back, then we could have some more kilowatt hours for these people over here. Um, so, so it's definitely it was definitely i think a lot of it was based off technical limitations um the you know the original plan was you were supposed to do when you get into a, a scarcity a shortage where you have to like voluntarily curtail people you're supposed to do what they call like rolling blackouts mm-hmm. so you, you know you're on for half an hour you're off for half an hour and then they put you back on and take someone else off and like roll through it and i guess because they had, you know, you never had an event of, of this scale before. They found out uh, in Austin, where I am, and some other places too. When they went to do the rolling blackouts, they found out it's like, oh, well, we can't actually turn this place off because it's next to a hospital, mm-hmm. and we can't take this place off because there's like, uh, you know, it's connected to like some, uh, uh, you know, critical grid infrastructure, and like you start adding that up, and and next thing you know, they're like, well. You know, we just have, we can't turn into any, any, you know, we can't do any more rolling, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, some of that, I think, has to do with the way that, uh, like, their circuits are segmented and other things that they can probably, probably do a better job of. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, so, like, the, like, for example, the entire downtown in Texas, in Austin, is, I guess, on a single circuit, and there's some critical stuff there. So that means that that has to stay on, but as a result, all these empty office buildings were staying on, right? Right. Uh, so that's the part where I think you could, you know, I, I, like there's two ways to get people to reduce their energy consumption. One is you can like flip the switch and say, you know, haha, you don't have power anymore. And the right. other is like on your end, you can say, OK, I'm going to turn off lights. I'm going to reduce the thermostat or the stuff. And that's the part where I don't think that the, you know, the price signals can be very uh, helpful or other sorts of mm-hmm. financial signals, uh, you know, could could do could do a lot. I remember uh, I was, after I graduated Hillsdale, 
a semester early. And so before I went to NYU, I, I moved up to Chicago and, you know, I was broke. I didn't, you know, it was my first real job or whatever that summer. And so we were living in a, a very uh, economically depressed neighborhood. And, you know, it was, uh, it was far away. It was um, a neighborhood of color. You know, they, <laughs> the people there, they, uh, it was largely Hispanic. And, um, you know, we were one of the few white, white people who lived there. And when rolling blackouts hit, our neighborhood got zapped or, or didn't <laughs> get zapped as it were. But then when I took the train and went into my office building where we worked, everything was fine, you know? Right. And, it, and so I, that's where I got a sense that I think, yeah, if the government is in charge of who gets electricity when push comes to shove, it's not going to be the disadvantaged people who don't have a lot of money that are going to be the ones favored. I think they're going to come up with, you know, no, actually your neighborhood needs to be the one right now that that suffers. Yeah, right. Uh, definitely there is a lot of talk about that, about like, you know, who was able to keep power and who wasn't. And like, it, you know, how does it track with like, you know, the the... If you were to if you were to track it based on uh, you know income dynamics or racial dynamics or other things, you know people are interested in that maybe it is system, systemic racism, right? Is well, right. I mean, I was, but it's true that you know. So my point, just being in case people didn't get, is that my concern is that yeah, when the people on the left who want the government to get involved and regulate it, oh, because it's such an important commodity, is to say, well, okay, but when you get away from price signals and they just have to be up to politics, it's not as if. Right. The people not, that you're worried, not, the, the yeah. same people that the police might be more likely to abuse are not all of a sudden going to be the ones that have their power restored quickly. Like, right. you know, almost right. so that it's kind of naive to to say that. And, and yeah, it's, you know, high prices are a thing, but at least, you know, you, you have a shot if you have somebody who, who really, you know, because they're caring for a relative or do, do you on that issue? I guess my thought, I'm wondering what you agree with this or not, is I was shocked when I saw those stories about like somebody got hit with a $17,000 bill. Yeah. You know, cause I just thought, I mean, I was clicking through like, is that, can that be right? And so I think if you are going to have something like that, there really does need to be a, you know, some kind of, I don't know what neon lights or something. Well, not neon lights. Cause that uses, but you need to know what you're doing. Just kind of like with Uber, I'm a big fan of surge pricing for Uber but some okay. of the horror stories you would hear, like somebody, you know, he's kind of hammered on New Year's Eve and he gets in the thing and then the guy drops him off and it's a $200 right. bill because he, like, I think there should be kind of a thing in the front end, like, hey, do you understand this ride is going to cost you $200? Are you, do you agree with that? You know, and the same thing with this. Yeah, that, if you, uh, yeah, I was thinking about that, like from an, from an ideal, like libertarian perspective, how would you deal with this? And I don't know if like, obviously you want to make sure, like, yeah, you would definitely want to make sure up, uh, up front that people really know what the, you know, what they're getting themselves in for potentially. And I don't know, like, if you would want to say like, okay, well, do you have, you know, you have backup generation in case of an emergency? Are you able to completely curtail in case of emergency or whatever? Uh, those sorts of requirements. Uh, I, maybe you could, you know, uh, I, I'm sure like creative people could work out some sort of system. Obviously mm -hmm. that's not, that's not where where we are, you know. Right. Uh, well, I, I just mean like also like in terms of the customs and what like if you go into a restaurant, right, and you sit down and, you, and they say, okay, and the waitress comes over, okay, what will it be? And he goes, ah, you know, give me a coke right now while I think about thing, and then they give you the coke and you and they wait till you take one sip and say, oh, by the way, yes, you didn't ask, but no, the cokes yeah. in this restaurant cost three hundred dollars. Did you know that? Right. You know, like yeah, I, I right. wouldn't think. Oh well, as a libertarian, the rules are the you know. So yeah, if they, if, if you wanted to do that, there would have to be signs. Yeah. You know, and, I, and the waitress sure. would have to say, if you're going to order a Coke, make sure you know, because yeah. you're from this area and you might think a Coke is at most, you know, three bucks or something, but no, it's actually 300. Are you sure you want a right. Coke? 
and I, I'm sure I haven't looked at like the gritty contracts or something. I'm sure that if you read in the fine print, there's something in there where it's like, oh, by the way, you know, uh, the price, you know, like prices can go wherever and blah blah blah. Mm. But uh, we, uh, you know, to the to the extent that people really understood that, uh, it's not clear, right? right, and maybe, right. You know, maybe maybe someone did understand it, but then like their generator broke, and you know, they're like, well, you know. Because because part of it is the people that got hit with the seventeen thousand. I would imagine most of them would have turned everything off if they had realized as they're sitting there, like you know that light that we have turned on. If we just turn that light off, we would save eight hundred dollars. Like I think most people would have done that. And and particularly because the way gritty, you know, it's not uh, the way gritty is set up. It's not simply that you like wait till the end of the month and then you get your bill, but they're like charging money to your credit card in real time. So you get these Mm. like notifications that like, you know, another $45 or whatever has been charged to your credit card. So you would know, like, you know, uh, you know, things are getting bad, right? I need to turn off everything. Uh, I, I, so I assume that's the situation that they were in, but, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, I don't know. So I guess, um, just generally speaking, like what would you recommend then is, you know, what, what should so, the, the Texas authorities do to Yeah, what fix I would this? say is like, if you're like, uh, if you're gonna, if you're gonna do something to restrict this, uh, business model, which they, which they probably are just make it as narrow as possible because we don't know, you know, we're getting to a point with a lot of technologies where, uh, you know, smart meters and other stuff you can do. A, there's a lot of inventive stuff that you can do on, on like, curbing demand and price signals are very important. So just make sure that you don't do something like sweeping where you're like, well, you have to be on a fixed rate, mm-hmm. right? Or something like that. You know, you can't vary it. You can't vary it at all based on like real time prices or whatever. Right. Uh, because I think that there are ways that you can do that, that can be very valuable to the system. Even if you don't want people to like face the downside of, of, you know, $17,000 a month bills, right? You know, I mean, we have like, e- even even the Texas, even the wholesale market, you know, we do have this $9,000 a megawatt hour cap, mm-hmm. which is really high, but it is a cap. It has, you, you can't do $20,000 a megawatt hour, right? You can't mm-hmm. do $100,000 a megawatt hour. Um, so, you know, if you're going to do something, like maybe, maybe you would do something analogous on the retail side. I don't know. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But just and, um, keep it as limited as, as possible is what I would write. And, I, and ironically, I thought, um, what's the lieutenant governor's name? Is it Patrick? Dan, Dan Patrick, yeah. Daniel Patrick, okay. It's funny because I was like, I want to say his name's Daniel, but now I think his name's Patrick. And so <laughs> I, was, I was right. <laughs> um, so uh, it'd be funny if someone said, hey, is your name Daniel or Patrick? And he said, yes. Yes. <laughs> um, so his comments, the ones that Krugman, you know, I think totally – mischaracterized in one of Krugman's columns saying, oh, Dan Patrick says that people should have read the fine print and they deserve those 17,000. And no, what he actually said was, and I thought it was pretty reasonable for all things, was to say, for those people who got these outrageous, you know, these very high bills, don't panic. We're looking into it. So that suggests, you know, we're going to roll somewhere all of this back. Right. And then he said, and going forward though, make sure you read the fine print. Right. And we may even just outlaw these types of contracts altogether because people were caught so much off guard. So it, that's actually pretty reasonable to say yeah. this. We know it was shocking, and you didn't expect this. So we're, you know, you're not going to be on the hook for this these bills. But if we do allow these types of contracts, you know, you have to really look at the fine print and realize this is possible. Do you want this plan or not? Right. And you know what? 
we might not even give you that option just because this, I realize this is so crazy. So it, right. he's kind of almost sounding like you. And yet that was, you know, yeah. crewman used that, that quote to make it look like he was saying, aha, you got it suckers. You know, you should have read the fine print. It's not like, you know, I, you, you should have, you should have looked to see that like, you know, shredded glass Cheerios was not safe. You know, it's, it's right. That's not, <laughs> not, not what he said. Yeah. It's a bag of glass. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So, are, are you optimistic then about what they're going to, or are you are concerned they're going to no, yeah, swing I'm, the pendulum so much? I'm kind of pessimistic. I think, you know, there has been, there's been a lot of bills that have been filed on this. Uh, some of them are, are probably okay, but there's also been a lot of bad stuff. And, um, you know, in particular, there's, there has been a lot of stuff. There've been a lot of bills filed, you know, a, that are punitive against renewables, particularly wind. And, you know, as I say, like, I'm against the production tax credit. I think that should go away. But I don't think that it's kind of like a the von Mises socialism point that, like, you cause one market distortion and then you, like, turn mm-hmm. to another market distortion or whatever. So some of the things that they're talking about are, like, you know, taxing wind or, like, making wind bear all the, like, surge costs or whatever, or other things like that that would be, you know, functionally prohibitive or destructive you know, for the industry. And I don't think like that does not seem like a productive use of, of state power. And there's, there's other, there's other stuff too, uh, that I don't know is really like getting to the, getting to the heart of the matter. Uh, so, you know, hopefully as things move through the process, there's more time for deliberation and counter argument will prevail. But as often happens in a crisis, you know, crisis is, tends to be good for government, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I'm afraid that you're going to see some of that here, even in, even in Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I just, I think we should underscore, you know, it's implicit in what we're saying, but I've even seen some fans of the free market say, you know, these, this $9,000 per megawatt hour thing was crazy. Like ERCOT said it didn't need to be that high. Like the, you know, they were shedding right. low and, and anyway, it was a physical thing. You know, the right. storm knocked it out and whatever. Like, it doesn't matter how high the price went. It's not yeah. that they couldn't have like, oh, you know, someone in the neighboring state was going to send a truck over with some kilowatt hours. That just, that's not going to work. But as you're pointing out, it's not merely, so yes, one function of, you know, having a sky high price when there's a crisis is to bring in more supply if that's possible physically, but also to ration demand. And so that, you know, I, I, so I'm, even a lot of free market people, like I said, I think are missing that element of it that, part of the function of high prices is to get people to cut back on their consumption. Right. Um, and then, you know, you're talking about some of the, you know, they're, they're recoiling against wind, I guess. Can you just speak a little bit like even a free market? Cause some people hearing our discussion might have said, well, even Josiah is admitting wind, you know, the capacity is not one for one with that. Why would anybody want wind ever? Yeah. And is the answer because when it does work, it's cheaper than natural gas. Yeah. So th- there's a couple of reasons why you might, well, when one is, it tends to be pretty cheap. It has, it has a zero fuel cost, unlike natural gas or coal, which not only tends to make it cheaper, but it also means that there's more, you're not subject to like price spikes because the fuel price goes up, right? So with natural gas, if the cost of natural gas, the, the substance increases a lot, then the cost of producing natural gas electricity goes up, mm-hmm. right? You don't have that worry so much for wind. There are also environmental advantages, not only, you know, people talk about climate change, but, you know, both coal and gas plants 
you know, there's some environmental issues, which involves regulation and permitting and approval problems. And then with nuclear plants, that's, that's clean. You don't have any of that, but you do have to worry about meltdown, right? And mm-hmm. that also, you know, like, not only are those things that you worry about themselves, but to deal with them somehow is going to create costs, whether it's like regulation, approvals, uh, periods, it takes like decades to build a nuclear plant, or same thing with coal and natural gas. Uh, so that's, that's something that you just don't have to worry about. You don't have to worry about that hassle with wind, right? Mm-hmm. And then uh, the third uh, thing is that it tends to be a little bit more scalable. So a lot of the thermal plants, if you're going to build a plant, you're going to build something that's pretty big, right? And that, of course, increases your capital costs and you know makes you more vulnerable to like swings in the market or whatever. Whereas uh, with wind and solar, you know it's like Legos. You can just you can do a little bit or you can build it big. Okay, right. And mm-hmm. so that you know there's some economic advantages to, to doing it that way. That's that's another. But I think the the big things are are price and just like the environmental factors. Yeah. Okay, so you think in a even in a totally free energy market especially a place like texas with a lot of wind that it would it would be it would make sense it would be economical for there to be like a bunch of wind capacity but backed up by either nuclear or natural gas yeah or or coal too like if there's no issue about you know they're going to be a carbon tax down the road or prohibition yeah uh, yeah, there still would there would be there would be less wind on the system but i think there still would be a substantial amount and uh, wind and na- natural gas actually complement each other kind of well because natural gas plants, it's a lot easier for them to like ramp up and down how much power they're producing. That's, that's like, as I mentioned earlier, you usually use natural gas for peaker plants because you're not running them all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I think that they're, they're probably, there still would be a, a lot of wind on the system and it would be, you know, there would be advantages coming to that, right? even if you're not going to have an all-wind system, right, or an all-wind and solar system, right? Mm. You know, you're still going to... It's, it's like you, you, you restaurants, you're not going to have all burger places or whatever or all ice cream places or whatnot, you know? They still are economically advantageous, right? And there it exists. Fill a niche in the market, yeah. Okay, um, is there any other things you wanted to cover in our uh, joint I podcast? I don't think so. Yeah, I uh, I would just say that I am a fan of the show. I I'm not. You may remember this. Um, a while back, you asked people to like flip a coin to decide whether they should. Yeah, <laughs> right. So so I flipped the coin and it, it it came up tails or whichever the one was where like I wasn't going to donate. And so I uh-huh. I always feel like well, I'm not. I'm not like a, a patron exactly, but I'm a probabilistic patron of right, right. the show. You know, I don't know how. I, I, but I hope you did it correctly because you were supposed to set the time horizon. Right. Well, that's you the question. I mean? like to say, am I going to donate this year or not? Right. And then yeah, I don't was, remember what the time horizon. Maybe I need to flip another coin. I don't I, I'm, I'm probably you do. Probably. That's, that's <laughs> all I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, th- just, you know, the last hour, I've been trying to come up with a pun about like, seeing the picture over your shoulder to say like, oh, we need a, a grid that's available for all seasons ah, or something. Very good. But yes, yeah. Yeah, I keep, we'll that, that. I keep, I keep that picture uh, to remind me about what they do to honest lawyers, right? You know, they cut their heads off. <laughs> we'll leave it as an exercise for the viewer to know what we're talking about. <laughs> we'll see. Okay, well, uh, 
my guest has been Josiah Neely. So Josiah, thanks for being on the Bob Murphy show. Yeah. And uh, my guest is been Bob Murphy. So Bob, thank you very much for joining the Urbane Cowboys. Okay. Well, thanks. So take care, Josiah. Hey, Sally, look at this website. It's showing that the government is a bunch of evil morons. Hmm, Billy, I see what you're saying, but actually, I'm not so sure these arguments are very good. What? You're for the government? That's just stupid. No, Billy, you're the one being stupid. Bob! That's right, kids. It's possible to have an argument with a conclusion that's true, even though the argument itself is wrong. For example, suppose I were to say, two plus two equals four. Therefore, the sun is hot. You see what I'm talking about? It's actually not a valid argument, even though, in this case, both the premise and the conclusion are true. So just keep that in mind. Thanks, Bob. Now we know. And knowing's half the battle. You've just experienced another episode of The Bob Murphy Show. The podcast promoting free markets, free minds, and grateful souls. For more information and to subscribe to this podcast, visit BobMurphyShow.com.